There's that. And there's that. All right. We are studying in Acts chapter 20 this morning. And this past week, it was kind of a messed up week for me not having Sunday last week. <laughs> kind of under, under the weather to say the least. Anyway, Tyler tells me that you had a different Sunday school class and didn't go on. So we're in chapter 20 of Acts. Uh, you recall last time we saw the silversmiths in Ephesus all upset about Paul's preaching, and and they raised not only a commotion, they had a mob going, and they were about to to kill Paul, and would have if they'd gotten a chance, but. The city clerk there in Ephesus calmed the calmed the mob down and said, "Wait a minute, we're we're about to be called on the carpet by the Roman government here for an insurrection, and this we have got no excuse for this mob violence." And uh, he said, "You better just clear out of here if you if you have any problem with Paul or any of these other." people of that way you bring it here there's a time set up for uh, for you to come into court and to bring your accusations and and it'll be judged by Roman officials but they, he calmed them down and this this burst them and said you go go home and think about this for a little bit and uh that's where chapter 20 starts. He says, And after the uproar was ceased, Paul called unto him the disciples and embraced them and departed for to go to, into Macedonia. Well, I don't think he just hugged them. He, there was more to it than that. It was a... Uh, it was, he, gave, he encouraged the brethren there in Ephesus to continue on in the service of God. And and he headed off for Macedonia and Greece. And he was traveling by, by land here. And, and when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came unto Greece and there abode three months. Well, let's stop right there. He went across from Ephesus, and let's look at the map here, and, okay, here's Philippi up here, Ephesus is down in here, and then he was going across from there uh, to, uh, Let's see. This this map isn't showing. That's your mo uh, modern day in the bottom. Oh, okay. Your, so your one on the top. Right. Will be the. Uh, look at this. Uh, 
looking for Ephesus. And Ephesus is over in that in the orange to the right. Yeah, but but he was going up up in into Macedonia and Greece, up in here, this area. And so, it's probably my there's there's Ephesus right here. And he went up, traveling mostly by land, but he went this way in, into Macedonia and Greece. So that, that was a pretty long journey there. He may have gone by boat. I don't know. You know, it doesn't really say. But he had gone over those parts there in Macedonia and Greece. And I'm not sure where Macedonia leaves off and Greece starts. It's all there together. And that's the area where we're going to be to, today. And until he starts moving towards Jerusalem. So. Looks like Macedonia covers from Philippi. Starting over here at Philippi, and then it kind of moves around down to that peninsula. Down onto the Greek peninsula. Yeah. And it ends about um, the top of that little peninsula there, the little peninsula where Corinth sits out. Yes. It goes down that far. Macedonia goes down that yeah, far. Yeah, it kind of covers, covers. I, you know, I kind of this map isn't particularly detailed. I need a a mark like a uh, a whiteboard marker because I could draw. You draw right here. It starts at like Philip Philippi Neapolis, comes around, and it goes down here, and it cut and it cuts down right about here. Okay. So kind of because this kind this of does like Greece, Achaia, down yeah. the bottom, and, and Greece is up in here. Yeah, it cuts around right, right, <coughs> right here, just above where Achaia says, where mm -hmm. it says Achaia. It cuts down right about there. See, all, all modern day Greece is all of this. All of this, and it kind of yeah, it runs it runs right right there. Okay, I'll I'll get a get us a whiteboard marker so we can draw those lines off. Okay. I think I've got one at the house somewhere, maybe. Yeah, I, I wish we had a bigger map. That one you're supposed to be able to draw on and erase it. Right. So maybe we can get us a little thin line and I can, you can draw, you draw it off. Okay. Well, anyway, Paul went through these parts, through Macedonia and Greece, and he exhorting uh, encouragement for the brethren in that area. Because they'd already, they'd been in there before, and he was coming back and retracing some of his steps here. And he was there for three months. And during that time, the Jews were getting more and more upset with him. And, and when the Jews laid wait, laid wait for him, as he was about to sail unto Syria, he proposed to return through Macedonia. So rather than... Uh, he heard that they were watching all the ports, had people lay in wait for him. And so rather than do that, he backtracked. And he went back up through Macedonia again by land instead of going uh, through by boat. So he threw them off there. And there accompanied him into Asia 
Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Segundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timothy, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. These men were leaders in the church, and they were learning from Paul as he was traveling, and they were following him as, as it were, following a, a teacher. And he was teaching them about Jesus and about, about the freedom that Jesus had provided through his death, burial, and resurrection. So they were, these men were following him, going traveling with him to hear his words, hear everything that he said. And then verse 5 says, And these going before tarried for us at Troas. So they went on. They went on by boat. They could go through those ports, and they were primarily looking for Paul. They said, we're, we're out to get. The Jews wanted to get him. So they could go on. They could go through that port. And being of possibly of different nationalities, nobody really paid any attention to them. But, but they went on and waited for Paul at Troas. Okay, and then it changes who who they're talking about here at verse six. It says, "And we we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread, and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we abode seven days." So all of these people that were following Paul went ahead of him to Troas. And then five days later, I assume he and Timothy went by land uh, and joined them there at Troas five days later. And then, then we abode seven days. So they stayed there another seven days. And... They had been re reunited with these people that were leaders in the church, in the churches. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, uh, ready to depart on the morrow. So the next morning, they were, he, he was going to leave. And, and he continued his speech until midnight. Paul was a long-winded preacher. <laughs> he talked, talked to them and taught them long into the night, even till midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber where they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sank down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. This, this young man fell asleep in church and fell out of the window, a third-story window. And 
they were they were sure he had died. They, he was unconscious, and, and Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him, said, "Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him." This was miraculous that this young man survived that fall from a third-story window. But Paul said, "Now, trouble, don't trouble yourselves. He's alive. He's still living." Then he therefore was come up, or when he, he therefore was come up again, and had broken bread and eaten, and talked a long while, even until daybreak, till break of day. So he departed. This is interesting. He went down and said, this young man is alive. And I'm sure his parents took him home or somebody took him home where he could be cared for. But Paul went back up and he continued to preach till daylight. Now, I don't recall having... see. I've seen some preachers sit up and talking till daylight. I imagine it was something kind of like that. You know, I think. Around discussing, and he was he was kind of talking to him about some things, and absolutely. You know, got, I I know that I've done that on more than one occasion with a couple of the preachers, yes. friends. I set up with the pastor in New Macedonia, Missouri. Donna's pastor when she was growing up. I set up with him until three a.m. one morning. Yes. Just, we were just sitting there discussing things that we we, we just we enjoyed discussing. It, so the time flew by. Time flies when you're having fun, right? It's also a little bit younger then, but <laughs> but it was you know it's not as rough on the body when you're younger. But he told me he says I better go to bed or I'm going to have trouble getting up in the morning. Yes. And he said I enjoyed it, but we were sitting there falling asleep trying to talk to. Yeah, hey, I I've so, seen this happen myself, and I've been been involved in it a couple of times. Uh, I remember Brother Carlton Elkins was did that for us one day. He and I think I think Brother Bird and I don't know who all was there, but there were several brethren, and there were probably I would say five or six of us, and uh, not counting myself. And uh, it's interesting. You get sometimes you hear a preacher and you just don't want him to stop preaching. You want to want to listen to hear what he has to say. I've, you know, some people say, well, we don't like long-winded preachers. But sometimes you don't want to quit. You want to listen and hear and understand what he's saying, what they're saying. And I think, obviously, with the Apostle Paul, these people wanted to know what he had to say. Uh, I I think it's interesting that in verse 7 there it says upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread Paul preached unto them but they came and they had they had the Lord's Supper a remembrance of Jesus Christ and that wasn't just coming together to have breakfast, you know, that wasn't what it was for. They may have had a meal along with it, but the primary thing was to break bread and observe the Lord's communion. 
All right. Verse 12 says, And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. Now, they were, they took him home, evidently, and were very comforted that he was still alive. And we went before to ship and sailed unto Asos. There, intending to take Paul, for so had he appointed, minding himself to go afoot. He went by by land again, while they went by sea. So this was a second time that they went ahead by boat, and he traveled on foot. And when he met with us at Asos, we took him in and came to Miletus, or Mytilene, or Mytilene, I guess. I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Mytilene, that, that E on the end is a long E. Verse 14, the last word. Mytilene, Mytilene. Anyway, and and we sailed from there, we sailed thence, and came the next day over against Chios. And the next day we arrived at Samos and tarried at Trogelium. And the next day we came to Miletus. So they were doing a lot of travel by boat here and probably by sail. And they had to go from one port or island to the next. Uh, verse 16 says, For Paul had determined to sail by Ephesus because he would not spend the time in Asia. For he hasted, if it were possible for him, to be in Jerusalem by the day of Pentecost. So he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem. And so he sailed past Ephesus. However, this verse 17 goes on and it says, And from Miletus he sent to, to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. He said, You come down and meet me here at Miletus because I, I don't want to spend the time to go inland up up there and then have to come back because I'm pressed for time to get to Jerusalem by the time of Pentecost. And this is where it gets interesting in verse 18. And when they were come to him, he said unto them, You know from the first day that I came unto Asia, after that, after what manner I have been with you at all seasons. He says, You know what my life has been like? You, you know what I've done? From the first day I came. <clears throat> Serving, serving the Lord with all humility of mind and with many tears and temptations which befell me by the lying in wait of the Jews. So these, these plots of the Jews to get him and to kill him. He, he had all kinds of troubles and temptations and they were well aware of these things. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you but have showed you and have taught you 
publicly and from house to house. He said, not only have I been there in the synagogue, but I've been other places with the, and taught you every, every chance I got. And even went into your homes and taught you privately in, the, in your homes. Testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. This was his message. Repent of your sins. Repent of this idolatry and turn to Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I go bound in the Spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there. So it was with a a determined spirit, but also a, a, a spirit of foreboding, not knowing what was going to happen when he got there to Jerusalem. But he says, I'm, I'm bound. I, I have to go. I think, I think of sorts he knew that, that he knew what laid wait for him, but he didn't know just how it was going to turn out. Right. Um, because he knew that that was, that was the situation. The situation in Jerusalem was pretty precarious because yes. he had his former teachers, he had his former former colleagues with the everybody city, knew him. All, the, all of the people that he knew. Not to mention he had the brother the brotherhood there that he was going he wanted to go and spend time with. But yes. he felt and I think he's mentioned this, he mentioned this over in a couple of other earlier chapters yes. that he was very burdened for those that were not Following after Jesus, yes, and he was he was burdened that they would become his kinsmen and become servants of the of, of Christ with him. Oh, I'm sure his kinsmen were among the people that he was concerned for. Yes, and so he his desire was to go back there and to minister to them, but he didn't know he knew something was going to happen. He just didn't know how it was all going to transpire. Right, he knew it wasn't wasn't going to be good, but he he was going to go anyway. He was, I go bound in the spirit. You know, this, this, uh, this idea of bound in the spirit is a, an interesting term. It's, it's, I know I've got to go. I've got to do it. God said I need to do it. I'm going to. But I've got trepidation. I've, I've got concerns about what's going to happen there. And, but, he was willing to give his life for the service of Christ. That's an interesting thing that we need to look at. And we'll see that again later in this chapter. And verse, okay, go ahead. The Spirit constrained him, and earlier uh, scripture talking about it, it constrained from going somewhere he desired to go. Sure. He him instead on. I can't remember exactly. Right, it. into Asia. Into Asia, so... He desired to go one place, and the Spirit said, "No, you're going to go." This now way. you're going to go to Macedonia. Way, it describes it as he was he was constrained. He was restrained to move towards his destination. He was directed by God, by the Spirit of God, to do what he was going, yeah. what he was doing. Exactly, we see that with uh, with Philip and the eunuch. Yes, we All see that it. Same thing happened. Yes. So, no, no surprise that the Spirit. When the spirit moves, that we're constrained to do it. Same thing with you see somebody move, and the Lord works in their life. You know, uh, whether that be pastor, I'm not just saying it just for pastors, but anyone. Anyone, that moves, absolutely. You know, that, 
that move that the spirit moves to do something. Yes. You can see that there's nothing that will that will prohibit them from doing it, but when they're constrained, you see there are things that happen that they know they're not allowed to do such a thing. Well, when Barbara and I came here from Rocky Ford and started attending here. Barb wanted to come, and I said, okay, let's go. Fine, let's do it. And when I got here, I said, I need the church. I need that. I, I've, been, I've been away far too long. And I said, I, and it surprised Barb when I asked for membership here and caught her off guard. But it was right. It was what I needed what I didn't understand is that at that time the church was needing me. And that, that made it that much more correct, more right in my heart. And so God can work in anyone's life, and he does. He works in everyone's life who's willing to listen to follow him. Okay, he says, I, I don't know what's going to happen to me there in Jerusalem, except that the Holy Ghost witnesseth in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. <laughs> the bonds and afflictions abide me. He said, They're, it's with me all the time. Those Jews are out to get me, and they're wanting to put me in prison, put me in, get me out of the way as far as they're concerned. But none of these things move me. He says, I that doesn't affect my it doesn't affect me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy, and a ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. He says, This is what God called me to. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to perform what God wants no matter what it costs, even if it cost me my life. This is, what he, this is basically what he said here. And he said that I might finish my course with joy. With joy. He said, <laughs> this is the interesting part. He enjoyed the work that he was doing, no matter what the cost, no matter what the outcome might be. God gave him this to do, and he was doing it gladly. That's, that's exciting to me. Verse 25, And now behold, I know that ye all among whom I have gone preaching, the kingdom of God, shall see my face no more. He says, you're, after I leave here, you're not going to see me again. He says, I know that. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He said, I have done my best. I have done everything God called me to do. And I want you to, to take note that I have done everything that I possibly could. I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men. He says, I've told people what they need to do. It's up to them to do it. He, he, he says, your blood is on your own head. 
if you don't do what God said to do. For I have not shunned to to declare unto you all the counsel of God. This, This term, all the counsel of God, this is to say God's whole plan. I've, I've laid it out for you. I've, I spelled it out every way I know how to do. And this, the counsel of God, all the counsel of God, everything that God told me to tell you, I have done. Take heed, therefore, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. He said, now, because I have done everything that I possibly can, it's up to you. He's he's handing them the responsibility to feed the flock of God, to give them encouragement and nourishment and to make them overseers of the flock of God to feed the church of God, which he has purchased with his own blood. Jesus did the work. Paul preached it. Paul proclaimed it, instructed these men that were here, all those who were traveling with him, all that were listening, these leaders of churches throughout that region of Asia and and Greece and Macedonia, uh, Derby these various cities where there were churches established, these people were gathered together. And he says, I've done my part. God has done his. And now it's up to you to feed the flock of God, which God hath purchased with his own blood. For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Uh, he's saying that these, um, they're going to be savage wolves. And he's, this is an analogy here. He says these savage wolves are people that are com- going to come in and try and tear the church apart. They're going to, they're, it says they're not going to spare the flock, not sparing the flock. They, they will have no mercy on God's people. These Jews that were after Paul, he said, they're going to come into the church too. They're going to come and attack you. Here's those shepherds we've talked about, those, those shepherds of the flock. Yes. You know, these pastors and bishops, and I know the title varies, but there's pa- these pastors and bishops that are responsible, right. teachers that are responsible for overseeing the, the, the church and making sure that that they're properly administered to, fed, encouraged, and strengthened, and disciplined when necessary. Yes. And, and that was that was the purpose for Paul instructing them here. You need to take heed of yourselves. You need to be you need to be watchful and careful. Yes. Uh, because you're responsible. That's why he says, "I'm I'm clear of all the blood." You're responsible for these for these people that are under your care. Yes. That you serve with. And. And they had an idea of what they were up against because of what had happened to Paul. Absolutely. And you see that, you know, he, he had the example there of the, of, of the account in Ephesus where about the silversmith. Right. You see that account there with uh, 
with earlier where they tried to lay hold of him and pulled him into the ring and they're like no 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 come on Paul you don't yeah. want to go in there <laughs> and they're like no you know so they saw these accounts firsthand or heard of them by word of mouth through his account in there and he's been stoned to, to nearly to death yeah. before he even started out on this miss so mission his, his admonition was very clear you need to be very careful because some of these people are going to lie and they're going to lie and manipulate to try to destroy you know, the church destroy the church yeah. absolutely all right. Also, verse 30 is interesting. Also of your own selves shall men arise speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. You know, even from within the church, there are going to be divisions and people, people wanting to have the... Uh, adulation of other people and using this as an occasion for their own purposes their own hearts will lead them astray and they will try and lead others after them to draw away disciples after them not after jesus but after themselves to have say you know we see this place where one said i'm i am of paul another one said i'm of apollos you know no, Paul says this is wrong. You need to be after God, serving God with your life, with your heart, with your soul and mind and everything that you've got. Verse 31 says, Therefore watch and remember that by the grace of three years, or by the space of three years, I ceased not to warn everyone night and day with tears he says i i've been diligent i i have prayed for you i've worked with you i've taught you i've i've told you everything that i can possibly do and now brethren i commend you to god and to the word of his grace which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all them which are sanctified. This is interesting. Uh, the word of his grace. I'd like, us, I'd like us to turn to the book of Hebrews. Uh, chapter 13, the last chapter of the book of Hebrews. and verse 9, it says, Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein. He says you can, you can get carried away uh, with a lot of different things. And this isn't what God wants. He says don't, don't listen to these strange doctrines that aren't according to the gospel of Jesus Christ. For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace the unmerited favor of God rather than with meats or, or any, any other um, doctrine. So this, this verse says the same thing that Paul is saying here in Acts. He says, I don't want you to be uh, carried away with all of these teachings of other people. 
you listen to Jesus Christ and stay at, firmly attached to him. Uh, these other things, it, uh, Brother Tyler and I were talking on the phone about uh, maybe helping, helping the people in the church to have better health. You know, there are things that can be done. He's aware of that. I am too. But this isn't what we're called here to preach. We're not called here for that. We're called to serve God. I mean, if we can help you have better health, fine, wonderful. There are things that can be done to improve people's health. Getting good exercise, we mentioned that. Uh, eating a good diet, not eating a lot of sweets and a lot of goodies like like we're all we all tend to be prone to. I mean, I have that problem myself. I know that. We know better. But this isn't the important thing. This isn't what we're called here to do. We're called to be children of God. We're called to be his servants, his reliable people that he can count on. That to be the body of Christ, to do what what the mind of Christ says to do. Those, that's the important part. He says, I, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to keep you and, and to give you an inheritance among all them that are sanctified. What is sanctified? Set apart. Set apart to God's service. Not to doing your own thing, not to building yourself up, but to do God's will in your life. He says, verse 33, I have coveted no man's silver or gold or apparel. I, I don't want your, your gold and silver and your fine raiment or fine clothing. Yea, ye yourselves know that these hands have ministered unto my necessities and to them that were with me. So Paul paid their fare. Paul paid their lodging, uh, paid for whatever their necessities might have been, for not only for himself, but to those that were traveling with him. I have showed you all things, how that so laboring, Ye ought to support the weak and to remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. So Paul says this, we have Jesus who set the example. And I believe that this was Paul's conviction also, that he was being blessed. You know, he said he did what God said to do with joy. But this was where he was blessed, in doing God's will, realizing that this is what God wanted for his life. Certainly he had been a Jewish zealot, same as those that were uh, persecuting him now, that were out to get him. But he said, like Jesus, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this was Paul's conviction. He was being blessed even though his life was being threatened, 
by these Jews. And when he had thus, when he had thus spoken, he kneeled down and prayed with them all. So he led them in prayer here. He kneeled down right in their presence. We're, we're at the end of chapter 20 of Acts. So they, he knelt down there with them, and they all wept sore and fell upon Paul's neck and kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they should see his face no more. Paul told them, you're not going to see me. Once I, once I get on that boat, that's the last you're going to see of me. God had shown him that he wasn't coming back, coming back this way. And that's why he brought all of these people together and, and got them that are, gave them that encouragement to feed the flock, to encourage the churches. And so here at the, this last, he, he said, I'm, I'm getting on that boat and you're not going to see me ever again. And they were very sorrowful for that. And they accompanied him under the ship. So they went with him and bid him bon voyage, knowing that they would never see him again. You know, I, I'm sure this was hard on on these. They've been given a an injunction to serve God and to teach, to be the overseers of the flock of God, to take care of those that were weak, to to, to encourage people in the service of God, to direct them in God's way, not their way, not you know. And Paul gave. Paul preached by example as much as by his words. Certainly his words were powerful. I'm sure of that. I'd love to have listened to them myself. But even more than that, his life spoke eloquently. And he said, I'm going to do God's will if it kills me. <laughs> and it very well might. He knew that. He was going back to Jerusalem, right into the heart of the trouble. And he said, you're not going to see me again. I know that. God's told me that you're, I'm not coming back this way ever again. But you have a responsibility. You have a responsibility for each of these churches, whether it was at Derby or Ephesus or wherever. You have the responsibility. And you are to be the pastors, the shepherds over the, these flocks in all of these different cities. What a, what a burden. And yet, even as Paul said, I do God's will with joy. Even though, no matter what it costs me, it cost me my life. These Jews are out to kill me. And you're going to have grievous wolves come in among you, too. You're going to, they're not going to spare the flock. Wolves coming into a flock of sheep take what they can get and kill them. 
Some sometimes they don't even they're not even after food. They're just there to kill. I've I've seen flock seen wolves do that. And that's you know, it's it's heartrending. Somebody raises sheep and he's he's got a flock that's growing, but certainly the lambs are the first to get killed. But they kill the other sheep too. And that verse twenty nine here in this chapter says for I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. There's, there's going to be trouble ahead. Count on it. He's, Paul was looking. He, he knew he was in for trouble going back to Jerusalem. But he says, you're going to have trouble here in each of these churches. And not only these wolves coming in, but there are going to be people rise up from within the church wanting to draw people off this way and that way and after one doctrine or another. He says, you be careful of this. God said, this is what I want. Love one another. Take care of one another. Bless one another. Choose others better than yourself. Give what you have to help others. This was Jesus' way, and this is what Paul preached. And he says, okay, it's in your hands now. I'm departing from here, going to Jerusalem, and you're not going to see me again. Paul didn't know what was going to happen in Jerusalem. He didn't know what was about to take place, but he said, I know I won't be back this way. So it's your responsibility. It's up to you to take care of what God wants you to do here in, the, in these places, all of these different cities. Where you have a church, you are the responsible elders of those churches. Any other comments on this? Certainly they had a, a, a tearful parting, knowing that they weren't going to see Paul again. But I wonder how long it took him to fully realize just what their responsibility was. After Paul was gone, I'll bet they went back saying, okay, Paul said I've got a job to do. I'm a, I'm a leader. I'm an elder. I'm a, I'm a pastor of a church. And there's going to be trouble. He told me that already. Now what? <laughs> so they went with the same um, type of questioning that Paul did as he was going back there to Jerusalem. But they were going home to their people to teach them, to preach to them, to feed the flock, give them what they needed. Big responsibility. All right. Well, if there's no... No further comment. We'll stop there. Thank you for your attention. Great is thy faithfulness. 
O God, my Father, there is no shadow of turning with Thee. Thou changest not, Thy compassions they fail not. As Thou hast been, Thou forever wilt be. Great is Thy faithfulness, great is Thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto Summer and winter and springtime and harvest, sun, moon, and stars in their courses above, join with all nature and manifold witness to thy great faithfulness mercy and love great is thy faithfulness great is thy faithfulness Morning by morning, new mercies I see. All I have needed, thy hand hath provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto that endureth thy own dear presence to cheer and to guide strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow blessings all mine with ten thousand beside. Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning new mercies I see. All I have need
provided. Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me. sung that one quite a while I remember uh, my uncle uh, brother Kelly I hope one day y'all get to meet him um, and I used to sing that as a special and hear it growing up hearing him sing that as a special it was always <clears throat> very dear to me um, so thank you for humoring me through that it's good to see everybody here this morning we're missing a few um, the roughs are supposed to be heading back this week. I don't know what Tony said. They may, I think they're leaving Monday, maybe. Um, so remember them as they travel. Um, I know Sister Tammy texted me this morning and she was feeling under the weather. So remember her and her family. She said Larissa had come for a visit this weekend too. So, uh, it was good to, she said it was good to see her and spend time with her. Um, so remember, uh, Sister Andy and Sister Barbara, who are still recovering from being ill last week. So I uh, talked with Sister Andy last night through text and talked with Brother Ed. So glad to have you back with us and feeling better. And uh, I'm glad for the, the not having to go through Sunday school. You do a wonderful job. So I, I appreciate that always. <laughs> Gives you a newfound respect when you have to do several things. So I appreciate that always. And for everyone's efforts here. Um, let's continue to remember um, Addie. Um, she was, uh, she's on, still on her break for her, between her chemo treatments. Um, I think Sister Rhonda is in Florida this weekend uh, with uh, Dovey. She said she was getting a chance to take a trip. So remember them for safe travels. Um, I know Andy had asked prayer for Kathy, her friend. So continue to remember her. Any updates on her? Kathy is having difficulty. <clears throat> I guess her siblings are wanting her to go into a assisted living near mm. them. And she's Help. not sure whether she wants to go or not. But um, she's a, in a bit of turmoil over that right now. Well, let's remember her with that. Um, let's continue to remember us. Uh, those prayer requests we have for, for health. Um, continue to remember your daughter-in-law. It's Ray, Ray Dean. Ray Dean, Ray Dean uh, who's recovering. Seems like she's doing nicely. Go ahead. Oh, yes. And her uh, husband, our son, he's having a colon test Monday. So Monday. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> Amen. So remember them. Glad to have you. Uh, you and uh, Kathy and Fred with us t this morning. You guys will be heading back, don't know, when? Okay. Well, we're glad you're with us, so um, glad to have Teresa and Jet with us this morning. And uh, remember, uh, Joe has an upcoming procedure August the 15th. Okay, August 15th. I wrote it down, and I was like, I know I have the date, and I've talked to you about it a couple times, and I finally remembered. <laughs> um, continue to remember... Um, how is Megan doing, Teresa? She's doing okay. Doing okay? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's remember, continue to remember her. Um, 
sister uh, Judy Byers, I've been we've been mentioning in prayer. Um, she completed her last treatment last week, and now they're preparing for surgery. I haven't had an update this week on her. Um, I did manage to send our card. We might do another one and send to her. Um, and any of those that we want to send cards to, I can do, we can get a card. Um, let's remember, um, Brother Wayne, Tony mentioned that Brother Wayne had, was getting, seemed like he was coming down with something. So hopefully that won't affect their travels. Um, Priscilla and them had a new grandbaby this week. So I think, I can't remember what number that is. They have had 10. I was going to say they have almost enough for a football team. <laughs> but uh, um, let's remember uh, Sherry and her family as they deal with uh, her brother's passing. Um, and uh, remember the church in New Macedonia, specifically uh, Brother Jared, their pastor, and his wife, Elizabeth. Um, as they go through things there, that's that's a hard, hard thing for them. So remember them. Let's remember our church for spiritual growth, our nation, our leaders, our military. Um, let's remember uh, Orlando Sanchez. Tony had mentioned last week that I think, or somebody had mentioned that Orlando, who was a renter of, Sherry, of Shirley and Wayne's, had a bad accident and he's paralyzed and said that uh, he wasn't going to be able to move back in after all of this, that I think he's going to have to have rehab for quite a long time, I think a year or so. So remember that family. Um, uh, remember a coworker of mine, April Morris. Um, she's had a biopsy this week on a possible skin cancer. She asked for prayer. I asked if we could add her to our prayer list, and she said absolutely. Um, I have another friend um, that has a grandson. His name's, I believe it's Brody. can't remember the last name. I think it's his mother's, grandmother's name is Hinkle. But he has cancer. And he's, I think, 9, 10. So remember that family. Um, remember, I know there's an upcoming fellowship meeting there in, in Malvern uh, where Brother Gary Smith is. And my, my mother's a member there, so remember them. I've got quite a people, few people traveling over the next couple weeks. And uh, so just remember them. Uh, any other prayer requests this morning? Oh, remember my mother-in-law as well. Um, Donna, did you get an update on her this week? So having some cardiac issues, so remember her. Um, and then remember us, Lord willing, we're, I'm taking, driving Donna and Jubilee down to Oklahoma City to spend a week with her sister. I'll leave Friday morning early and drive them down. Um, but most of you know that we've had some car issues this week, so um, we're, we're also trying to get a new car. So that, that's all kind of contingent on some of the things falling into place. So we ask your prayers for those things as well. So remember us as we have all these dealings this week. Anyone else? Okay. Oh. And that's uh, Big Dennis? Yeah. Heather? Okay. Oh. Sorry to hear that. Okay. Let's remember. Remember the Martin family. Um, 
Any update on Grandma June? Good. She's impressive. 92 years old and she... <laughs> you know what? They always say an object in motion tends to stay in motion. So, you know what? If she can keep going, then that's good. That's absolutely good. If she's, if she's up to it, then I let her go. <laughs> Anything else this morning? If not, let's, let's have a word of prayer. Brother Patrick, would you lead us in a word of prayer, please? I failed to mention this week. Of, I, I know I've mentioned in the church text group about uh, meeting someone. I went to drop off some disability papers this week for Jubilee for her waiver program. And I met a lady um, named Sally Jackson. She's a the secretary there at Blue Sky. And uh, she said she was looking for a new church. And that um, I gave her church information and said she might need a ride. And I, I offered her a ride. So, um I apologize for not following through with that this week. I should have called her, and I did not. Um, so I'm going to reach out to her this week and just talk with her and see uh, if we can assist her with any of that. And uh, hopefully next Sunday I'll be able to get with, in touch with her, and and uh, maybe she'll come and join us. She said that she was having some difficulties at her church, and there were some things going on, and she wanted to be wanted to look for a new church. And I said, well, we have people that live out there and we have people that, that can help come pick you up. I said, I'm sure, I said, I would love to come pick you up. I wouldn't mind doing that at all. And she said she would love that. So she gave me her phone number and I'm going to reach out to her and see if I can help her uh, get, get, get some transportation. So she said she has a problem with her eyes. She's had a procedure not long ago and she just can't see as good as she wants to. So um, maybe we'll have her with us maybe even this evening. So I'm going to, I'm going to check on, check in maybe this afternoon with her. So be in prayer for her as well. So this morning we'll turn to the book of second Corinthians. Again, we're kind of continuing our series of through the book of Corinthians. We're drawing close to a close there. And 2 Corinthians chapter 10, second half there, we covered last Sunday night, 
regarding uh, spiritual warfare. And Paul just talking about a few things regarding spiritual power and, and the authority. So we're going to cover the latter part of this chapter, uh, starting with verse 7 there we'll read in chapter 10 of 2 Corinthians. It says, Do you think on things, uh, do you look on things after the outward appearance? If any man trusteth to himself that he is Christ, let him of himself think this again, that as he is Christ, even so are we Christ. For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not for your destruction, I should not be ashamed. That I may not seem as if I would terrify you by letters, for this his letters say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is contemptible. Let such a one think this, that such as we are in the word by letters when we are absent, such will we be also indeed when we are present. For we dare not to make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves. But they measure themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. But we will not boast of the things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reach not unto you, for we are come as far as you, also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of the things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, but having hope, when your faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly, to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, and not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hand. But he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. For not he that commendeth himself is approved, but whom the Lord commendeth. So Brother Paul here was, again, writing to the church at Corinth. Seems that as we go down into the 11th chapter, that there, there are some that are questioning his authority. Questioning the authority that's given here. I know in previous verses there, he talked about some some consider that they walk according to flesh, but they don't. He says, we war against the flesh. So the questioning of, his, of the authority there that was given to Paul, questioning his position, he says there they shouldn't, they shouldn't think about the outward. They should rethink their position. They are Christ's. So, so as Paul and those of the brethren that were with him, he said, look, we're, don't think anything more of this than you ought to. He says, think about yourself. He says, we're, you're of Christ. He says, and I'm of Christ. He says, we are of Christ too. He goes on down further in, those, in that passage of Scripture, noting that regarding comparing oneself, he says, for what? Not boasting of things without our measure. That is, of other men's labors, but having hope when your faith is increased that we shall be enlarged by you according to your own rule abundantly. He talks about verse 13, says, but we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of rule which God hath distributed to us, a measure to even unto you. And he says, some of those, <clears throat> for we stretch out ourselves beyond our measure as though we reached not unto you, for as we are come as far as you also preaching the gospel. So his thing there was that we, we don't measure ourselves. We're, we're measured of the Lord. 
We can't commend ourselves. He says, why? Verse 18 says, the Lord is the one that commendeth. Paul here notes that, that some have compared and measured themselves and commended themselves before others. But recognizing that God alone has the authority to provide the provision, what, what we need and measures those things. It's not men measuring themselves. And providing this information. It's God that does these things. He says, but we, what? He says, not boasting of things without our measure, that is other men's labors, but having hope that when faith is increased, that we shall be enlarged by you according to our rule abundantly to preach the gospel in the regions beyond you, not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hands. So what's the point there? He's like, we've made it to you. These people that commend themselves, he says, we, we dare not take that, that, that upon ourselves. But he says, it's God that distributes these things to us. What is he talking about? Authority. The authority that they have is given from, from the Lord. It's not from men. He says, God provisioned them what he measured. He says, we can't, we can't do this ourselves. The Lord's provided these things. But that in their growth of faith, as the Lord provides, that they might be glorying in that. They might be able to rejoice with them that God's provided the increase. But it doesn't matter whether Paul's authority, Paul has authority from the Lord. He doesn't give, he doesn't have authority according to the flesh as some of these men surmised in previous verses there. But he says there, we can't rejoice in what somebody else has provided. He says, preach not the gospel in the regions beyond you, not to boast in another man's line of things made ready to our hands. He said, I can't, can't do this for another man's work. He says, but who is it? We glorieth in God. This defense here aims to reason that the church should be careful to observe the Lord's work regarding others, but not be deceived by doctrine and teachings that men hold out that are contrary to the Lord. He says, we're not walking according to flesh. We're walking according to spirit. Authority comes from God. But Paul reasons there, he's carried out the work that the Lord has, has done. And he says, the Lord, it's not me that commanded, it's, it's the Lord. And what's the purpose? We not place ourselves above others. That's the point. He says, where Scripture talks about being co-heirs. No one has authority over another. We're given, we're given positions to help one another. There's teachers, there's preachers, there's deacons when they're necessary. And what does he give those for us? He gives it for us to aid and, and help, encourage, teach, strengthen. Kind of like what we talked about this morning about, about strengthening, encouraging. That's what Paul's job was to do. And this very well is carrying this out in the scripture here. These epistles here back up 
the accounts there in Acts. Because this is what happened during his missionary journeys. He was writing these letters and things going on. Let's look at Romans chapter 12. I don't surmise that this will be long, but I could be wrong. The Lord sometimes has other plans. So Romans chapter 12. A few short verses here. Start in verse 3 of chapter 12 in Romans. It says, For I say through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we being many are one body in Christ, and every member one of another. Talks about them going on, each have differing gifts. We have went over this a number of times, so that's why I'm going to spare you the entire reading there. But he says, not more highly? Why? Because we have no station in life, but what we talked about a few weeks ago, what God provisions to us. God provides these things. But they're not all the same. Brother Ed has a knack for teaching things. Sister Karen has a knack for cooking things and 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 providing things. Sister Jean, same thing. Hospitality. Those things are just a few of the attributes that we see amongst our number. Each have different gifts. They don't have the same. Same gift. The Lord measures those things out. So we ought not to puff ourselves up in our minds thinking that we're better than one another, as sometimes the flesh will do. What? But he said to think soberly. Soundly. This is the responsibility that we have to one another. He says, For I say through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think highly, more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think soberly according to that God hath dealt to every man that measure of faith. And to think that God measured out in his infinite wisdom just what we needed. So, not to overextend ourselves, as Paul mentioned back over in 2 Corinthians, but to deal with the measure that we're given. Overextending oneself, using something to the point of breaking. Or something that you're not covering, that's not your purview, that's not the gift that the Lord's dealt to you. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Same church, different letter. Of course, we know that these letters were written and, all, and it was kind of circulated around all the churches because it was for encouragement, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves? We go about commending. <laughs> Or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters or recommendations for you? I'm sorry. I'm in 2 Corinthians. I'm supposed to be in 1st. 
sorry. First Corinthians chapter three, verse one. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto ye were not able to bear it. Neither yet now are ye able. For ye are not are yet carnal, for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, and yet not carnal and walk as men. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man? I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive of his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God, and ye are God's husbandry, and ye are God's building. What was the encouragement there? He says we have functions. We have differing functions. Why? He sets that stage for what he says there. Who then is Paul? I am of Paul, I am of Apollos. He says, are you not carnal? Are you not flesh? He says, one watereth and one planteth. But it is God that giveth the increase. We are, we are laborers in the Lord. We are vessels for the Lord. We should be. So we have no right to, to boast, right? I think about over in Matthew chapter 6, it talks about how the birds of the air and the, and the flowers and how they carry out their function. They don't worry about their food. They don't worry about what they put on, but they do what they complete the function with God, which God gave them to do. We're created the same way. We're created with what God created us had in mind for us to do something very specific, which was what? To honor and worship and glorify God and serve Him. So He apportioned that to us. Not us making up our own mind to do what we want to do. But Paul's process here is that we all each have a function to carry out. They had functions to carry out. They're ministering to the people. Paulus did certain work. Paul did certain work. Did it mean that they were better than one another? Absolutely not. In other cases over here in the epistles, Paul was questioned regarding his authority, which is we'll get over into chapter 11, that they preferred some over another. But they all had a function. And all of them were honored of the Lord because they did what they were called to do. So was the same thing for us. We're called to do these things. The Lord measures those things out to us. What is expected? To do the Lord's work. That's what Paul purposed there when he left the church. The church is there to head back to Jerusalem, didn't he? He wept. They fell on him. They wept sorely. Why? Because they loved Paul dearly. And he loved them. And they needed 
the gift the Lord had bestowed on him to preach and teach to them and to show them the weightier things of the Lord. That was his desire to the church of Corinth here that we're reading in these, in this, these two epistles here was that he desired for them to see the Lord's commission for them and that was for them to use what the Lord had given them that was measured out for them and, and by faith carrying those things out. The instruction was to this church through Brother Paul was what? For them to continue to grow in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. To see what their purpose was and to not regard one another as lower than them or higher than them, but to remember that Christ is the only one that has that position in God. Why? Because they held those positions before the creation of time. So his encouragement here was that they remember that they don't have this one to cling to or that one to cling to, but the authority rests in Christ whom God placed in that position as the cornerstone for the church. Let's look at Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. And the 14th verse there is where we'll start. And I myself also am persuaded to you, my brethren, that ye also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly unto you some of some sort, as putting you in mind because of the grace that is given to me of God that I might be the minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, and the offering up of the Gentiles might be acceptable, being sanctified by the Holy Ghost. I have therefore whereof I may glory through Jesus Christ, in whom things which pertain to God. For I will not dare to speak of any of these things which Christ hath not wrought by me, to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. Through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, and so that from Jerusalem and round about unto Elicrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yea, so have I strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, to whom he has, uh, was not spoken of, they shall see, and they have not heard, shall understand. For which cause also I have been made, uh, been much hindered from coming to you. But now have no more place in, their, in, in these parts, and having a great desire these many years to come unto you. Whensoever I take my journey into Spain, I will come to you, for I trust to see you in my journey, and be brought on my way thitherward by you, if first I be somewhat filled with your company. I'll stop there. What was it that Paul did? He aspired to, to do what the Lord had measured him to do, which was to preach the gospel. He says that the Gentiles might be an acceptable, sacrifice, uh, acceptable offering set apart by the Holy Spirit. It didn't matter 
that Paul was a Jew. He was of both lineages. He was of Gentile and Jew. Which was not a common standard in my, in my understanding in leadership and position in which Paul held. Prior to his moving over into what he was doing as an apostle. But nonetheless, these words fall heavy on whom it was written to. Not just to the church at that time, but the here and the present. His instruction there is very clear. He says, I myself am also persuaded of you, my brethren, that ye are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and, all, and also to admonish one another. We're filled with these things. Saying, you're filled with these things. You, you have these things at your disposal. He says, I have written the more boldly unto you in some sort as to put you in mind because of the grace that is given to me and God. To put you to mind. What does that mean? To think about it. Do I know? They remind you. Exactly. It's just a more wordy version of saying remember. <laughs> right? Call to mind. He's drawing attention. This is something you need to remember. He says, because the grace that is given to me of God. Grace. Would you say that grace was earlier, Brother Ed? Unmerited favor. So, the Lord saw fit to extend that to Paul and to extend that to the people that, that he was speaking to. You have something important. You need to remember this. He said, goes on, he's saying, that I should minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles. That was his commission. He was sent to the Gentiles. Huh. He first went to the synagogue in every place he went to. Because why? Most people don't talk about it, but the Jews were the firstborn. Children of God, right? So he went to them first to see if they would listen. And then when they would refuse it or they would, some of those would turn away and the others would say, nope, we don't want any part of this. He'd move on to the Gentiles, wouldn't he? So he done exactly what the Lord called him to do. This is therefore whereof I am made glory through Jesus Christ in whom things which pertain to God for I will dare not dare to speak of any of these things which Christ has not wrought by me to make the Gentiles obedient by word and deed. What do you think the purpose of that statement was? <clears throat> he said, I'm not going to speak of those things. I, I'm, I'm not going to take the, the, uh, the freedom to speak those things because if it wasn't done by, what, it wasn't done by me. It wasn't wrought by me through Christ. So, I can't talk of those things. He says, I would rather that the Gentiles be obedient. He says, but it's funny, he says they're by word and deed. We talked about that last week as well. Faith and works can't have one with you know without the other. He says, through mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout unto Lycrum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Lycrum was up in Asia Minor, part of what we've kind of talked about a little bit in the past couple weeks in our study in Acts. 
goes on there. He says, Yea, so I have strived to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build upon another man's foundation. He went where that wasn't proclaimed before. Why? He said he didn't want to trample under, he says he didn't want to lay down on somebody else's foundation. Why? The Lord had purpose for him to go to those places. Talk about something revolutionary. We, we, we get to go where the Lord sends us. We don't get to do our own thing. No. That's why he said over there in 2 Corinthians, he was talking to him about what was measured to him. Why? They had a set out portion of something that they were supposed to do. They weren't supposed to step out of that what they were given or overextend themselves or overmeasure themselves as he said there. The purpose was for them to do exactly what the Lord had called them to do. To go where he sends them, to do what he tells them to do. And what was that? Paul's commission there was to go to the Gentiles and preach this. To travel around and show people the greatness of Christ whom he had formerly persecuted. Boasting not of himself, but in Christ, right? Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, I think is what we'll read there. Paul opens up, he says, verse 4, he says, For I know nothing by myself, yet I am not hereby justified. But he that judges, judgeth me is the Lord. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to the light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of their hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. And these things, brethren, I have in figure transferred to myself and to Apollos for your sakes, that ye might learn in, not, uh, in us not to think of men above that which is written that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. For who maketh thee to differ from another? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it? So Paul again addressing the church at Corinth earlier in that first epistle. He says the same thing we've been talking about. Not to be lifted up. He says there, I know nothing by myself, yet I am hereby justified, but he that judges me is the Lord. He says, I don't know anything by myself. He says, but through the Lord, he justifies me. And he's the one that judges me. So, again, we have no authority to judge. It's given to Christ, isn't it? He talks about, I know nothing by myself. He says, therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and make manifest the counsels of hearts. And then shall every man have praise of God. I think we went through a number of times with what was going on there at the church at Corinth that he was talking about 
we can figure up all these things all we want, but who's going to render that judgment? Christ is. He says he will be the one to reveal the hidden things of darkness. He'll be the one to manifest the counsels of hearts. says, then shall every man have praise of God. Scripture admonishes us in certain places to be careful of the praise of men. So when somebody says a good job, we might have to take note of that and be very careful how we proceed. Talk about ego. <laughs> Scripture also warns us to be careful with what we say. So <laughs> be careful what we, what we do and what we think. Why? The Lord's going to render the, unto us what, what our doings are, right? He says it there. There's no, nothing to be able to refute that. He says that there in that passage of Scripture. He goes on there. He says, And these things, brethren, I have figured, figured transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that ye might learn in us not to think of men above which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. The church at Corinth had dealt with some division amongst themselves. The writing there in the first couple chapters would they be careful about being divided over this teaching or that teaching, but what? To be focused on the teachings of Christ, which was very clear according to Scripture. So Paul's admonition was that for them not to get caught up in all these things or to get caught up in these problems, but to nevertheless remember that who is it that that judges them. Christ does. Who is it provides a way for them to be a part of serving the Lord? Christ does. He apportioned those things to us. So we have no station to judge those things, but God will render those things to us. And he goes on there, he says, I figured these things to Paulus and uh, for my sake. Why? That you might learn how you ought to be, right? Paul knew as an apostle that he was in a pretty precarious position and that the authority that was given to him was that he'd be what? A chief example to them, encouraging them in word and in deed and how they carry out their lives so that other men, when they see that, they might go, oh, I want to know this Jesus that Paul proclaims. Maybe they might not end up, the sons of Sceva might not end up the way they were, beaten and run out because they said, Jesus, whom Paul preaches, says, I know Paul and I know Jesus, but I don't know you. Think they had to change their perspective there, didn't they? But he says there in verse 7, he says, that you not be puffed up against you at the end of verse 6 there. He says, why? Because they had those divisions there. He says, get rid of that mess. What does the scripture encourage us? If we have ought against our brother before they went to offer sacrifice, go and make it right with your brother. Sometimes it takes someone just going and saying, I'm sorry, and showing them the difference. Whether we're right or wrong sometimes. And let the Lord take care of the rest of that. I've seen that happen on numerous occasions where people get upset with one another or something something particularly said and then you come back and it was the same thing that they said just a different way 
What's the encouragement there? Us to go back and study to show ourselves approved. Look at the scripture. See what it says. It's the way we handle the problem. I learn this a lot that I handle, uh, I myself, if I trust myself to handle a problem, won't handle it correctly. But I need to look to the Lord before I open my mouth and speak or do something. Put it in the hands of the Lord. Let Him show me what it is I'm supposed to do with it. So, what is the encouragement here? Let verse finish up with verse seven. It says, "For he who maketh thee to differ from another, and what hast thou that thou didst not receive? Now, if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as if thou hadst not received it?" Sounds confusing there, but it's really not. He's asking a series of questions there. It says, "What maketh thee to differ from another? You're made the same. The Lord made you." At least that's my thought there. He says, What hast thou received that thou what hast thou that thou didst not receive? We've received everything we need. Y'all. He says, There now if thou didst receive it, why dost thou glory as thou hadst not received it? What's he talking about? He's talking about Christ there, isn't he? We've received it. He says, Why why do you why do you act like this? He says, as if you didn't receive it. You did. He says, now you're full and now you're rich. In verse 8, ye have reigned as kings without us and I would to God that ye did, not, did reign that we might also reign with you. For I think that God has set forth us, the apostles last as it is appointed for death, that we are made as a spectacle unto the world and unto angels and unto men. That we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have not certain dwelling and labor working with our own hands, but being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer. Being defamed, we entreat. And we are made as the filth of the world, as though an outscouring of all things unto this day. Write not these things to you to shame you, beloved uh, sons, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though that ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, ye have not many fathers. For in Christ I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. What was Paul's encouragement there? He says, God put, put the apostles here for a reason, appointed to death. Why? To establish these things for your sake. To establish the faith. Give you access to it. Because he's used us to proclaim that. So that you might have access to it. That they're made spectacles before the world. And then he goes on there. Talking about we are fools for Christ's sake. But you're wise. Why? Because we've done... The Lord's put us out there before you to do this work so that you might have an opportunity to build you up. He said, even into the present hour, we are hungry, thirsty, naked, buffeted, no certain dwelling, laboring without with our own hands, being reviled. He says, we're enduring these things for your sake. 
goes on there. Though you have 10,000 instructions in Christ, yes, you don't have one, not many fathers. For in Christ we have begotten you through the gospel. That ought to show you and paint the picture of just how, lo- how, how beloved these folks were to Paul. He put his life on the line so that they might have Christ. Teaching them, instructing them that they might see through the Spirit's guidance what it was they were supposed to do. What was intended for them? What was apportioned to them? But he goes on there and he says, Wherefore I beseech you to be followers of me. Not saying to follow after Paul himself, but he's what he's proclaiming there. Paul was put out there to be an example and a teacher and an encourager there. And a disciplinarian in some cases that we see through these scriptures. And he goes on and says, For this cause I've sent to you, Timotheus, who have been beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring to you into remembrance of my ways which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. So he says, I send, I'm sending Timothy to you to help you with these things, because I've taught him these things, and he's going to show you what the Lord has used me to teach him. He says, as I teach everywhere in, in, in every church. As Paul traveled, he didn't teach different things at different churches. They're at different circumstances, but he taught the same thing. He didn't teach what Paul wanted to teach. He taught what the Lord laid on him. He says, now some are puffed up as though I would not come to you, but I will come to you shortly if the Lord wills and will know not the speech of them which are puffed up, but the power. For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. What will ye? Shall I come unto you with a rod, or in love, or in spirit of meekness? Paul saying, all right. Some of you are built up. He says, you've got a big ego. He says, but I'm going to come to you shortly. He says, and we'll know not the speech of them that are puffed up, but the power. The Lord will squash that out right. They may have a, they may have men fooled, but the Lord was not fooled in all this, and Paul was trying to prove it to them. The power of God is going to be made manifest in this situation. He says, "What the kingdom of God is not not in word, but in power, demonstrating that power there, which Paul did consistently throughout these epistles, didn't he?" And he says there, What will ye? Shall I come unto you with rod or in love or in spirit of meekness? Wow. Not to think above our station or above our means that the Lord has measured to us. But he's given us a specific thing to do and we better carry it out. That requires everyone in the church's action. Everyone that's a part of the church. It requires us all to act within the realm which the Lord has apportioned to us. Why? Because that was given to us, was provisioned to us through Christ. We ought not to take advantage of that. We can't say that we serve the Lord if we don't do the work that the Lord puts us out here to do. What did he say? What did it say about the guy that found the pearl? 
He sold everything he had. And he took the pearl and what? He shared it, didn't he? He didn't just kind of hide it, bury it with his, bury it like treasure. He shared the beauty of it. That's what the gospel is, is we're sharing the beauty of Christ with others. To one another, we're encouraging one another promptly and, and effectively throughout the week and throughout our service to the Lord in our life. But much like the demonstration here in Corinthians that we've read throughout these whole accounts is what? It was a portion to them. They had some issues with trying to figure out how it was that they were supposed to function. And Paul's purpose there in Christ was to show them how you function as a unit. Functioning in preaching or in teaching or ministering to one another. And the words that we say and how we say it. Learning we can't do anything of ourselves, but it's a portion to us from Christ. We better, we better keep our eyes intently fi fixed on serving the Lord and fixed on Him. And quit thinking about what problem I have with so-and-so or what, what I don't like that so-and-so said, but look at what the Scripture says and apportion that correctly. Use that for encouragement, for exhorting, for discipline, as is necessary. not the pastor's duty alone to carry out all those things. It's the entire church's responsibility. And if and when we see those things when they're not properly being carried out, we effectively handle that. Encouraging, just as Paul encouraged the church at Corinth here. In both accounts. Because we see over in 2 Corinthians, they worked a lot of these problems out. But the work wasn't finished after those problems were sorted through, were they? He spoke at one point saying, I, uh, he, uh, what we read is he said about the meat of the word. He says, I can't give you the meat. You need the milk. The purpose of Paul's teaching there was to get past those problems, the divisions, the immorality, the fi infighting, the issues that they had with one another and their authority, and to sort that out by looking to the Lord. By praying with all diligence and work there together to work those things out. Scripture does say for us to work our salvation out with fear and trembling, doesn't it? So we better do that. That was the encouragement that these epistles were written for. For imperfect people that had problems and couldn't discern things properly, they couldn't say things, they couldn't... hurt people or encourage people. It was to do it the right way. That was Paul's encouragement here that we read. Let's do these things.